It's not our aim at church to deceive, uh, but when it said sermon passage up there before, that might not be quite accurate. Uh, If you've been with us the last few weeks, we're working our way uh, through a theme. Uh, As Jake said at the start of the service, uh, we're looking at the Lord's Prayer bit by bit. And so we're not going to set in one particular passage. Uh, What I'd encourage you to do is actually, on the back of uh, your newsletter, there's space to write things down. Jot down the references I give. Occasionally I'll give you time to look them up. Mostly I won't. Um, You're going to have to jot them down and look at them later and check that what I said is actually what it says so that the deception of what the sermon passage was doesn't continue. Um, With that in mind... uh, Let's turn to the Lord. Let's ask for his help. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, uh, we give you thanks and praise that you're a God of glory, uh, that there is none like you. Uh, You are the God as well who, uh, even though you're enthroned on a high, have regard for us, concern for us. You, uh, You look down and you see our need and in your kindness you meet it. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way in which uh, we see uh, you care for the Lord Jesus in his time of trial, uh, sending angels to minister to him. We pray that as we come to you tonight, uh, that you would care for us in the same way. Uh, Give us the help that we need, that we might know you better and trust you more, and in doing so be transformed, that we would be more and more like our Saviour Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Uh, Whenever Jesus teaches, he does uh, two things. Uh, He, on one hand, shows the right way, uh, and at the same time, he uncovers deep errors within. He shows the right way and uncovers the errors. In Matthew 6, uh, Jesus teaches us to pray, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so that request shows us the right way, first of all. That is, ask ambitiously. Ask big, you know, pray for God's kingdom. You know, don't aim small, aim big. Um, At the same time, he uncovers errors that are deep within us. Um, You know, our lack of prayerful ambition, the fact that he has to tell us to ask for God's kingdom, says we ask small, we are far too easily pleased. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, described our problem this way, it's a cracker of a quote, oft used by a preacher, and I'm going to be one of them, it's up here on the screen. Um, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. And like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. So what Lou's doing there, he's, he's spelling out what Jesus is exposing and what sometimes our prayer life might make explicit, that we are far too easily pleased with just the ordinary of what's going on in this life. Um, life is imperfect, we know that, but hey, there's, a, there's enough kind of things, you know, good things happening that we get distracted into this kind of heaven can wait thinking, that this would be enough. And, and so we pray kind of maintenance prayers for this life. Uh, you know, so there's a woman who, who wanted to live to beyond 100 because she wanted to see the next generations coming through, the great-grandchildren, the great-great-grandchildren. And, you know, that would be... The, the man whose uh, retirement holiday is, you know, planned and paid, so he's just hoping Jesus doesn't return until after the trip because, you know, it's going to be great. Or uh, the young couple, so excited about their engagement that eternity just doesn't enter their minds. 
your kingdom come exposes hearts that just want God to delay. Um, now, of course, we don't explicitly say that. We don't you know, explicitly say, God, I don't want you to come. You know, oh, there's a justification, 2 Peter 3. Uh, there is a good reason to say, please delay, Lord. It's the God's patience that more might come to salvation in Christ. Um, but with the exception of that, it's subtler, isn't it? We just pray small. Our prayers focus on maintaining, on on maximising the the pleasant moments of now rather than asking him to overturn all of life and Christ's kingdom to be experienced in full and come in force. We are far, as Lewis would say, far too easily pleased. Our desires are not too strong but too weak. We ask small, or even worse, perhaps for you, uh, you may not ask for his kingdom at all that you've lost a a hunger to see the reality, the experience in fullness, God's great plans for creation. Uh, John MacArthur warns, the day you stop praying your kingdom come, you sign a peace treaty with the world. When you stop praying your kingdom come, you sign a peace treaty with the world. That is, he's not talking about how we might pray for peace to come to the world. That's, you know, this broken world, we need that. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the peace treaty, when you stop asking for God's kingdom come, the peace treaty you sign is this sense of you've been so worn down by the world's opposition to heaven's rule, or you're so kind of distracted by the good things, the little things that go along, that you settle with, ah, this is okay if we just maintain this, that you settle with the current sinful state of affairs. We are far too easily pleased. And Jesus says in that one line, ask ambitiously, ask big, pray for God's kingdom. And so a simple request to refine your prayers, Lord, bring your perfect reign. Matthew 6.10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. As we keep going through this series in looking at our Master and Saviour's model prayer, remember the Lord's Prayer is not a magic formula Um, nor is is it a straitjacket to your prayer. It's not like you have to pray only these words. It is the the shape and direction of all Christian prayer. And so as Jesus teaches what he's doing, he's lifting us from our self-destructive inward gaze to look up and pray big, Lord, bring your perfect reign. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. It is a big, bold, ambitious prayer. It is asking for God's rule to be universally and perfectly experienced. And to unlock that, the key to unlocking that wisdom is realising, of course, that God's kingdom is a relationship, not a place. So asking for God's kingdom to come is not saying, oh, Lord, you know, I'm hoping that some massive city will you know, land on this hill in Wollongong and you know, fall from the sky. No, no, it's asking that God's saving reign would be enjoyed by all and enjoyed in full. You know, God's kingdom is life under his rule where we perfectly love him and love others just as he perfectly loves us. It is, as we looked in Mark's gospel, the realm of grace where the damage done to us by sin is repaired. Now, Thomas Watson describes God's kingdom that um, it's grace in seed form that flowers into glory. So in its seed form, it's grace, but it flowers, it fully flourishes. One day when it's complete, it's glory. It's a relationship, not a place. And so we're asking, Lord, bring your perfect reign. Two, two reasons to pray this. The first, God rules unwelcome. You know, we've got to pray your kingdom because right now the experience is humanity is willfully building our own empire. We pray your kingdom understanding the present reality. 
So God does rule this world. God is in control. Uh, we read it in Psalm 113, 113 verse 4. Uh, the Lord is exalted over the nations. In fact, the imagery there, his glory, in his glory, he's enthroned so far above us that he has to kind of stoop down to see us. It's, it's picture language of how far and exalted he is. Um, Psalm 104, that's worth looking at. Psalm 104, it's page 606, 607, around there. So I will give you a chance to look at that one. Psalm 104. Um, in this psalm, it opens with you know, a, a call, praise, praise the Lord, my soul, what we just sang before. It's, it's self-talk that we need to have. It is a reminder of truth that we don't instinctively remember. Psalm 104 outlines God's powerful rule. So verse 1, Lord, you are very great. You are clothed with splendour and majesty. He is a king. And in verse 2 to 4, his robes there um, aren't a luxurious fabric. It's not silk. No, no, um, the fabric of creation. Light, the heavens, the waters, the, you know, the sea and the ocean, the beauty of all that is around us. That is what God is robed in and that is what makes him, wraps him in splendour. Um, and his servants in verse 4 um, are these unseen spiritual forces of this world. You know, these spiritual beings that we can't see, but they serve him, and he controls every aspect of this creation. Uh, verse 5, he established it, and what he's established can't be moved. Um, it can't be thrown. Look, skip a little bit further down. Verse 9 and 10, um, raging oceans, that is, creation's most chaotic aspect, submit to his direction. Uh, skipping over the page, next column, if you've got uh, the same Bible as me, uh, verse 14 through 18, there's a paragraph there where he sustains all life. If you scan over it, you see all these different things, the wild animals, the tame animals, the birds, the people, all completely depend on him. And so you get down to the bottom of that column, verse 27, um, picking it up there, all creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. And when you give it to them, they gather it up, and when you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they're terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. And when you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. See the real power there? Here is the God who gives life and takes life and renews life, new life again. This is glory and splendour and power. Point is, praise my soul, uh, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Remind yourself the reality that we forget. God already rules this world. Every breath is his gift. It is not yours by right or by merit. We're totally dependent. And yet he rules unwelcome. There is one verse in this psalm that sticks out like a sore thumb. It's right at the end. Um, verse 35. May sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. It sticks out because it's been building and building, you know, reminding here is God. He rules, he rules in every aspect and in glorious ways. And you get to the climax of the psalm and there are some people who just won't acknowledge it. They won't praise him for that. Uh, sinners and the wicked exist. Now, don't mishear this. Uh, the Bible doesn't reserve um, that, those kind of terms for just the worst of the worst. You know, sinners and wicked is not just people in maximum security. No, no, the wicked and sinner are any who will live unwilling to acknowledge their dependence on God. That's the flow of this psalm. Any who are um, unwilling to you know, receive his gift with gratitude. Now, there are some who are going to shake their fist defiantly at God. They're going to live doing as much damage as they can to others in their selfishness. There will be some like that. But most 
are exceedingly good, even perhaps religious in their goodness, trying to show God and others they are so good they don't need his help, they don't need to depend. Sinners and wickedness in biblical thinking. Um, Colossians 1 says that everyone's natural state is under that kind of reign, the dominion of darkness, that the reign of darkness in people's lives where sins damage um, is unrelenting, is unbound. It is... Uh, the kingdom that people by nature choose. Uh, that is, that they, they'll receive all the gifts, but they won't acknowledge the giver. We don't notice, of course, because it's the cultural air we breathe. That's why Psalm 104 starts, you know, I've got to remind myself, praise the Lord, my soul. Because at the moment, God rules unwelcome. Uh, humanity is willfully building its own empire. God reigns without a saving relationship with all people. He's choosing to reign in a limited way in that sense. His, his willingness to reign in that way... Uh, you know, this present kingdom of grace rather than the full flourishing of glory confuses some. There are some who wonder and think, oh, no one's in control. But Romans 1 explains, no, no, this, this current state, this current way he rules is in part his judgment, letting people see this is the consequence of what it is to live your own way. He hands them over to see what it's like instead of relationship with him. And as you follow the flow of Romans, in order that they might turn. But he is no less in control. Uh, when I teach my children to drive, uh, they get behind the wheel. They turn on the ignition and they press the pedals, but I reign in that car. Uh, I give my time. L drivers can't go unaccompanied. I provide the car. I provide the petrol. I provide instruction. At any point, uh, I can override. I can grab the wheel. I can pull the handbrake. I can, I can say those brutal words, the lesson is over. Let's pull over. Uh, to passers-by, the one behind the wheel looks like they're in control. But I reign in that car. Humanity may not acknowledge or recognise God's reign, but it doesn't change the truth. God reigns in this world. Unwelcome. And so we must pray your kingdom come, understanding the present reality. We pray your kingdom come because the present reality is that everyone building their own empire is a disaster. And until uh, God's reign is perfectly acknowledged, until everyone has a right relationship with him, our world is, is going to hurt and keep on hurting. And so we pray your kingdom come because, you know, quick scan of the headlines, moment of you know, honest self-reflection, we realise we cannot be trusted with this world to rule, to reign. Um, prayer is not making God uh, do my will, but bringing my will into line with his. You know, we pray your will be done because when you and I, when we get our will, it is actually a disaster. As I said a few weeks ago, if you're with us, um, praying your will be done actually lifts the weight of having to pray what's best. Because if it was um, that mechanical exchange where, you know, I put my prayer in and I get it every time, I achieve my goals, that is actually genuinely terrifying. I can't be trusted with that power. I'm not good enough. I'm not wise enough to always get my way. And as I said a few weeks ago, neither are you. And we hurt now because we humans seek for our will to be done. And the present reality means we cannot be content. We cannot sign a peace treaty with this world. And so in asking for him to come and reign, we are welcoming him to come into every part of our lives. Nowhere is off limit. It's, it's what we sang before, with every breath I long to follow Jesus. As the, the collect for the 14th Sunday, Sunday after Trinity puts it, that we may obtain what you've promised, make us love what you command. 
By, by welcoming his rule, we're actually asking him uh, to rule so fully, fully that we want to obey him. It's not just giving him our wills, it's giving him our hearts and desires as well. Lord, bring your perfect reign, because until it comes, everyone will suffer. With that, secondly, God's reign is perfect. So we pray your will be done, because heaven is better than earth. We pray understanding future reality. So yes, present reality, but also future reality. Again, let me keep saying, God's kingdom is relationship, not place. It's this realm of grace where that damage done by sin is repaired. And his kingdom is whenever creatures put his will ahead of their own, every moment, with every breath, wherever that happens. And currently, where is that happening? It's happening in the heavens, hence the prayer. Your, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's where it's going on. Currently in the heavens, the Godhead, Father, Son and Spirit are in perfect agreement as they selflessly love each other. And there in the heavens, the spiritual beings, the angels, the cherubim, the seraphim, they are perfectly submitting to the Godhead and they overflow with joy and praise. There is no suffering, there is no pain, there is no grief. Currently, the heavenly realms experience the benefits of perfect relationship with God. Um, and in Christ, we, we experience something of, of heaven on earth, that, that little seed of grace that will one day flower into glory. So Jesus' earthly ministry, cast your mind back to that. It was like, like the window open into the heavenlies, like the, the breeze coming through here, keeping us safe from COVID and brisk and cool and you know, grab your blanket later, that kind of stuff. Um, but this, this perfect, in Jesus' ministry, this perfect breeze of grace blew through. Um, remember back, we've looked at Mark's gospel. We did it just recently. It's in your minds. It's fresh. Um, and remember, it opens with that declaration in Mark 1, the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent and believe the good news. And there in Mark, remember, Jesus doesn't um, explain it as much as show the content of God's kingdom. He demonstrates it. And his ministry is this picture of what the future will be. And so he proclaims in Mark 1 with this fresh authority. Remember that? There's, he has authority over worldly ties and spiritual darkness and physical sickness and religious barriers. Remember all those things? You know, so the arrival of the kingdom, when he comes in, it overrides the worldly ties of work and family that actually divide humanity. And he brings this new love and a new allegiance uh, in Jesus that unites us actually across the natural barriers. And his kingdom overcomes spiritual darkness. Remember, in Mark 1, evil spirits, they recognise him, but they are powerless to stop him as he just drives them out. And his kingdom has no place for, for physical sickness. Remember, the, the sick instantly healed, later the dead get raised, and his kingdom breaks down religious barriers. As all now come through Christ's grace, that is, it doesn't matter your record. It doesn't matter how morally well you've performed or how poorly all these beautiful things, the picture of what is to come. It's, his earthly ministry is a sample of the, the future reality, the realm of grace where that, that damage done by sin physically and spiritually and relationally and emotionally is all repaired. The, the seed of grace giving way to glory. That is the new creation one day in full when, as Psalm 104 verse 35 puts it, sinners vanish from the earth, the wicked are no more. It is a place of perfection. And so we pray your kingdom come because heaven is so much better than earth. We must not be half-hearted creatures too easily pleased by just maintaining this, playing in the mud, in a slum, when the seaside holiday awaits. So we pray your kingdom and we have to ask, we have to plead because we can't do it ourselves. We can't create a heaven on earth 
It's beyond, someone, someone explains the prayer's logic this way. It asks for the establishment of the kingdom of God by God for us, not by us for God. Because this world is too broken. We can't fix it. Even if we gather together, we can't do it. Um, Abby Morgan uh, is a British screenwriter, uh, won BAFTAs, a uh, vocal advocate for women's rights. Uh, she wrote a TV series exposing the sex traffic industry and the movie Suffragette about the, the history of women getting the vote. Uh, in an interview, Morgan was directly asked about a man who produced some of her work, uh, the now disgraced abusive womaniser Harvey Weinstein. Uh, if you've forgotten that name, a quick Google search, you will discover the kind of man he was. Um, Morgan said he came across as this champion of women's rights, seeking to pour money into her work, publicly affirming women, but all the time privately exploiting them. So how do you fix a world when the heroes are really villains? When everyone is flawed? When the problems are so big? You know, I, got a letter, I got a letter to donate to uh, Tear, citing a girl lifted out of poverty and discrimination and gender-based violence. Um, she's one of many. So many. Because every individual we help is great and we should help them. You know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. We should be trying to bring it about. But there are so many. You know, just after that letter came letters from UNHCR and Food Bank, more good causes for everlasting problems. So we ask, God, you've got to establish this kingdom for us because we cannot do it for you, God. And the burden of our inadequacy, if you really grasp the depth of the problems and how great it would be if heaven was really established, if you really grasp that, the sense of inadequacy is huge. You know, if you cannot pray, your kingdom come, your will be done with integrity, you will never have peace. You'll always be burdened. You'll always feel compelled to try and fix it yourself and to try and control other people and your environment and make things the way you believe they should be. But that's even beyond you. And so to pray your kingdom is to, to submit your will and feelings in such a way that you're trusting he will bring it about so nothing will disillusion or harden or make you bitty. You know, to, to pray thy will is to have peace as you give everything over to the one who can act. We pray because we can't do it ourselves. His reign is perfect. We pray it, your kingdom come, no matter the cost. That is Jesus in Gethsemane, isn't it? Um, he had taught your kingdom come and we see him right at the end of his life living your will be done. Facing a punishment that overwhelmed his soul before it even began. You know, the, the, the idea of bearing the sin of the world, he sees what's ahead, he asks for the cup to be removed, but he asks the father conditionally, he says, if it's your will, not my will but yours. Though it brought him hell to pay, Jesus deemed it worth it to bring the reign of God. So that is whatever it might cost you to submit your wants and will to God's plan, it is worth it to see his kingdom grow now and ultimately be experienced in full. So pray your kingdom because you know, heaven, where his will is done, is so much better than earth. Lord, bring your perfect reign. Can I suggest three considerations as you start praying this in earnest? Your kingdom come, your will be done. First consideration, your kingdom come is the heart of all our requests. So, you know, your will be done, that's not our only prayer we make. It's not even the only prayer that Jesus encourages to make in the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, okay? Um, but his will done holds together all our essential desires. 
It is the key and most important one. Uh, David Powlison, he puts it this way. He identifies uh, three biblical types of prayer. Um, circumstantial prayers, wisdom prayers and kingdom prayers. Uh, to explain a little, you know, circumstantial prayers, that is we ask God to change our circumstances. You know, heal the sick, give us daily bread, uh, protect us from suffering, uh, make our political leaders just, convert our family and friends, um, make our work and ministries prosper, uh, provide us with a, a spouse or, you know, help me find a car park, get me through my exams. Um, circumstantial prayers. Wisdom prayers, the second category, we ask God to change us, to deepen our faith, to teach us love for others and, and to forgive the one who harmed us and, and make us wise in those areas where we tend to be a little bit foolish and, and to help us know him better and know other people better and, you know, and then there's kingdom prayers, the third category. We ask God to change everything by revealing himself more fully in, in, in the stage of real life, in reality, you know, magnifying the degree to which his glory and rule are obvious. You know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. You know, be exalted above the heavens. Let your glory cover the earth. Let your glory fill the earth as the water covers the sea. You know, come, Lord Jesus, those prayers. And the Lord's Prayer, he points out, contains all three tightly interwoven you don't want to pull them apart but kingdom prayers are the heart of all our requests why because praying for his kingdom will change us it will destroy the sin and folly in our lives and praying for his kingdom will change our circumstances when it comes in full all the kind of suffering and problems will be gone it is the essential core prayer it's not our only prayer but it's the heart of our prayers with it secondly your kingdom come is a courageous request it's asking two things of God. It's saying, make, make people recognise your gracious reign now and with that, secondly, end this world. Bring the new creation. And both are going to be costly. So if you start praying this, you're saying to God, start with me. Make me fully obedient. Use me to extend your kingdom. He's asking God to radically change you, not just kind of you know, give you a little trim around the edges. It's joining Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and making your wants secondary to his plans. It can play out in all sorts of ways. You know, Romans 12, the way it plays out, your will be done, means responding to grace as a living sacrifice, a life that does not conform to the world, but gives yourself completely to the God who first gave himself completely to you. In 1 Peter, um, your will be done is committing to good, even when it brings you pain and suffering and rejection. It is a courageous request. Uh, Bill Arnold, he shares the moment he came to understand God was, was more interested in his availability than his ability. That is, God was more interested in his willingness to put um, God's agenda ahead of his own, um, especially ahead of the limits he'd placed on serving God because he just didn't feel good enough for it. And so this guy, Bill Arnold, he was at a, a minister's commissioning service and he stumbled over a prayer that was used at the service. Um, it was a prayer, it's up here, uh, it's taken from uh, John Wesley's covenant renewal service. Um, I'm going to read through the prayer and just feel it. Imagine praying this and you, I am no longer my own but thine. Put me to what thou wilt, rank me with whom thou wilt, put me to doing, put me to suffering let me be employed for thee or laid aside for thee, exalted or brought low for thee. Let me be full, let me be empty, let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. 
essentially that's an elaboration of your kingdom come, your will be done. And you can see perhaps why he stumbled. Uh, he admitted a little later on, I realised slowly and painfully I couldn't pray that prayer honestly. At various times in my young Christian experience, I had become too concerned about my own personal success. I hadn't learnt the freedom that comes from caring not whether I was exalted or humbled, full or empty, having all things or nothing. I hadn't learnt fully the joy of yielding to God's good pleasure. And so if you've been holding back on God, you know, or trying to find ways to get him to submit to your will, uh, Jesus is inviting you today to discover the joy of yielding to him. Yes, it will cost, but it is worth it. Pray courageously. And thirdly, lastly, your kingdom come is the best request. Our world is broken and hurting and his future kingdom is unimaginably perfect. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4 explains his kingdom has this weight of glory, a heaviness of glory that makes any present suffering light and momentary. And so to ask for that to be a reality is the greatest possible request because once it comes, there is nothing that you could have missed out on here that no, you know, no holiday, no family moment, no career success, no relationship that you will regret missing because his kingdom will be so good in that realm of grace where everything is repaired. So praying your kingdom brings real peace. There is the, it is the best request. Um, Barbara Bush uh, she is the uh, wife of a, well, was the wife of a US president, mother to another US president. She understood this. Um, when she passed, uh, another of her sons, Jeb, said this in uh, his eulogy. Uh, he goes, the last time I was with her, I asked her about dying. You know, was she ready to go? Was she sad? And without missing a beat, she said this. She said, Jeb, I believe in Jesus and he is my saviour. I don't want to leave your dad, but I know I'll be in a beautiful place. Together, she's not undermining the good things that still go on in life. I don't want to leave your dad. There is still good here, but there's something so much better. A beautiful place. Your kingdom come is the best request. And so rather than be half-hearted, rather than be too easily pleased, rather than pray maintenance prayers for this life, Jesus says, ask ambitiously, ask big. This is how you should pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Mindful of his invitation, I'm going to invite you to join with me. We're going to pray as we have been at the end of each of these sermons. Uh, I trust the Lord's Prayer is going to come up. It's not going to come up. Uh, in which case, those of you who know, I'll invite you to join with me as we pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen.